Yeah, really good. Easter Sunday, the, the most important day, is it not? The most important day. The Sunday stone got rolled away. The Sunday, death lost its sting. The grave lost its victory. The Sunday, hell was defeated. Death was dethroned. The devil devastated. The Sunday, the tomb was emptied and hope was filled. The Sunday, faith was vindicated. The prophets were validated. The soldiers aggravated. Disciples animated. The Sunday sin lost. Shame died. Hope soared. Love won. The Sunday you got something beyond yourself to live for. Something beyond your life to die for. Something beyond your death to hope for. Today... Therefore, we celebrate the central proclamation of the greatest victory over the darkest enemy by the noblest hero for the loftiest cause in all of humanity. If anything in this world is worthy of celebration, it's Jesus Christ is risen. It means everything is different. It's a new covenant. Life is different. Pain is different. Hardship is different. Death is different. Everything has changed because it's Easter Sunday. We need to remind ourselves of that all the time. We're going to look at a reading in a bit. I'm going to invite Vic up. Uh, Vic's going to come and read to us. Don't you find it really interesting how two of you can see the same thing but have a different take on it? And we're going to look at uh, how different people saw that first Easter. A few years ago now, quite a few years ago now, when our kids were a bit younger, we took our kids for a, a bit of an Easter meal, like an, a breakfast. And uh, we were in a little village outside Leeds. And there was one of these brilliant butcher shops, you know, a brilliant butcher shop. Got all sorts in it. And uh, after we had, uh, had, had breakfast, I thought, I wonder what we'll have for tea. Let's have a look at the butchers. So I took Cameron, who's our youngest son, over to the butcher's shop. And we were looking in the window, and he was about, I don't know, he was about seven or eight, something like that. And I said to him, come then, Cameron, without looking at the labels, tell me what meat belongs to which animal. Uh, and, and just by looking at it, tell me what meat it is. And he, he's going, oh, that's pork, that's chicken, that's beef. And I said, you're cheating. You're reading the labels. And then his eyes absolutely warmed up on saucers. And he went, lion. They've got lion. <laughs> and the butcher went, that's loin. <laughs> we thought we were having lion for tea. <laughs> that would have been interesting, wouldn't it? But uh, let's turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter twenty. I'll invite Vic up. We're going to read the first 16 verses. Christ is risen. And one of the reasons is that one of the men that was there wrote this chapter, John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one Jesus loved and said, 
They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Vic. It's interesting. So there's two fellas who uh, get to the grave and one lady. Women always see a lot more than men, don't they? Always a lot more observant. We're going to look at the difference between what Peter and John saw and what Mary saw. And uh, right at the very beginning of the scripture passage that uh, Vic read, uh, it begins by saying, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark. I want us just to, at the very beginning of this, dwell on those words, early and dark. In a biblical sense, they're great times to meet with God. Great times to meet with God. In Genesis, right back at the very beginning, when God creates Adam and Eve, it says that he formed them early on the sixth day, and then he came to spend time with them in the evening. Some people spend uh, time with God very early in the morning and, and they get into a routine of that. that. Other people, well, they're still waking up <laughs> and it takes them a while before they spend time with God. Either way, it's a good, good to spend time with God. The New Testament, Jesus found the best time for him to pray was early mornings. Early mornings, Jesus got up. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, Jesus gets up and prays. But Luke records, Jesus also got with his father on an evening as well. So when you do your quiet time in the morning, don't think, oh, I've done it for the day. Get with God at night as well. Why not? Let me encourage you this morning. It's never too early to get up and spend time with God. It's never too early in life 
to start with God as well. Some people are under the strange notion that if you're young, you need to live a little bit. You need to see stuff. You need to do stuff. And they think, well, I'll become a Christian a little bit later on in my life when I've, when I've lived a little bit. Let me tell you, if you do that, you might get involved or you probably will get involved in some stuff you'll highly regret. It's better to become a Christian when you're young. Save yourself from all the consequences that, that sin brings in your life, all the confusion and all the complication that sin brings. It's great today to have Emily and Harry getting baptized. Young people, young people who have come to faith early in their life. Harry, Emily, good on you for going through the waters of baptism early in life, coming to faith in Christ early in your life. You've saved yourself from a lot of consequences. You know, live your life well. God bless you. Live your life powerfully before him. If you're still waiting to give your life to Jesus and you've lived a long time, well, it's never too late, never too late, but you might be weighed down with a few consequences of decisions that you've made or, or sinful things that you've got involved in. There is hope for you. Don't worry. There is hope. But it's significant that you get with God early in your life. It saves you from an awful lot of complication. Getting with God in dark times is also a good thing as well. We all go through dark spells in our lives. Things where Life just encroaches upon you. Complications come in. Awful things happen through no fault of your own sometimes. And darkness comes over your life. Get with God in those times. It's very tempting to blame God and to turn away from him and to blame him and accuse him of not looking after you. But it's in those dark times you need God. Get with God in those dark times. In the passage we see that Mary approaches the tomb. She realizes that Jesus' body has gone. She doesn't go inside. The tombs were cut, big holes cut in, in, uh, in the side of the rock like a cave. And she, she runs and she reports to Peter so that he and John run to the tomb to investigate. It's interesting, that this is John's gospel, right? This is John's gospel. So John very humbly says, Peter ran to the tomb, but the other disciple outran him, beat him. It's a bit like, you know, when me and Dan play golf. I tend to beat you, don't I, Dan? But anyway, there you go. But John loves writing it. You know, I outran Peter. I did better than him, you know. But John gets to the tomb first, but he doesn't go in. Peter... Well, we know a little bit about Peter's character, don't we? We know that, you know, Peter tends to sort of like speak exactly what he thinks. There's not really much of a filter going on in Peter's life. And he, he very often puts his foot in it and, uh, and speaks out. But this is Peter. So Peter goes running straight into this tomb. And he goes straight inside and he sees two, two bundles of linen. Interesting, they're very different. One of them, the, uh, the linen that Jesus' body was wrapped up in, is laying in a bundle, just all screwed up. But the cloth that covered Jesus' head, interestingly, is folded up and laid to one side very, very neatly. 
interesting. It's strange, and scholars have wondered about what does this mean? The two types of linen. What 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 is this? Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's just done the greatest thing in history. And the first thing he does is fold his clothes. It's a bit strange. It's even a bit funny, actually. You can imagine Mary, his mother, drilling it into him when he was a a little lad. When you get up, fold your stuff up. Put it to one side, nice and neat. But it is a bit strange. If, If you're not Jewish. If you're Jewish, it might have a bit more meaning to you. Because both types of laundry, they have significance and they have meaning. Many commentators agree, yes, this is a a place of sacrifice. It's where a sacrifice has has happened, obviously. We know it was a sacrifice for, for me and you, for all of us. But also, many commentators say, it's also got connotations to a Jewish meal time. When you're eating a meal in a Jewish house, you have a napkin and uh, if you're eating the meal and you screw the napkin up and just bundle it up and just plonk it down, well, that means to whoever's serving you, I've done. I've finished. You can, you can clear it all away now, which is interesting because Jesus' grave clothes were heaped up as a sign that he had finished. He had finished. He tasted death. He died on the cross. He dealt with the sin of all mankind. He'd hung on that cross and he'd exclaimed from the cross, it is finished. It is finished. The heaped up laundry is a sign that our sin has been dealt with. Jesus has paid the price. He's done it all. There's no more to do. He's dealt with our dirty washing. And that's what the screwed up bundle of linen really, really meant. It means it's our freedom, it's our forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he rids our lives of that sin. In fact, 1 John 1 says this, verse 9, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive all our sin and cleanse us from all wickedness. Hebrews 10 talks about this sacrifice Verse 1 says this, the old system of the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. And then he goes on to say, He cancelled the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. God's will, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. But the other piece of linen was folded up nice and neatly and just placed very carefully. What does that mean? If you're eating a meal in a Jewish household and you fold your napkin up nice and neatly, what you're saying is, don't clear it away just yet. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I've not finished yet. I'm coming back. The folded headcloth was speaking to the disciples and to Mary on different levels here. Jesus was saying, I'm returning. 
I'm returning. Sometime in the future, I'm returning. In fact, we know that because in John chapter 14, he says, I go and prepare a place for you, says Jesus. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The Bible reiterates Jesus' words in many, many different passages in the New Testament where the New Testament confidently declares Jesus will return. Jesus will come again. In the last days, Jesus will come again. I'm sure many of you have been enjoying Vic's Bible studies uh, on uh, the miracles of Jesus. And before that, Jeremiah, in a, in a little while, is going to do the book of Revelation, uh, talking about the return of Jesus Christ as well. The Bible confidently says he's coming again for a spotless bride. We're the spotless bride. If you're a Christian today, your sin is dealt with. You are spotless through Christ Jesus' sacrifice for you. But on another level... In the immediate moment, he was saying, I'm returning imminently. But this is where we get our two different experiences from, of the men and the woman in this story. You see, Peter and John rushed to the tomb. They saw the tomb was empty. They witnessed the, 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 the linen, but then they rushed away. They rushed away. Mary, it seems... Maybe she knew a little bit about the significance of the two different types of linen that was there. So she doesn't rush away. She lingers. She cries. She weeps. She expresses herself in a deep way. And through her tears, she looks into the tomb and she sees angels. Angels are always a sign of the activity of God or God's presence in the Bible and the angel begins a conversation with her and as she's talking with the angels Jesus comes he meets with her at first she doesn't recognize him but as she turns and he calls her name she looks him in the eye and she realizes this is Jesus let's not forget all this takes place in a graveyard. There's tombs all around. It's not a very nice place, really. And yet, God does the greatest of things. We all need to allow God to do the greatest of things in the gravest of places, don't we? When you're in a grave place, you need God there. But very often, our minds are elsewhere. We're rushing to, to the next thing in our, in our lives. We don't just linger and allow God to come and be with us. Mary lingered. She waited and experienced a full revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you this morning. Don't miss out on experiencing Jesus in your life. You may say, well... I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I know there's, there's an awful lot of evidence, probably far too much evidence, to deny that he actually raised back to life, that he was resurrected. But that's as far as things go in my life. Thanks, Andy. I'm too busy getting on with, with my life. Too busy to, to think about it. This morning, I would say, look a bit deeper. He's calling you. He's calling you. He's inviting you to, to linger, to wait, to experience him in a far deeper way than you've ever done that before. 
If you linger, if you listen for Jesus, you might hear him calling you by name. Many, many people in this room have responded to that call. Many, many people have responded to that call and become a follower of Jesus Christ. And, well, I, ask, I, I invite you, ask any, any one of them. And they'll say it was the best decision they ever made in their life. They won't kid you by saying that all their troubles are, are over. But they will say the weight of sin, the weight of sin that they were carrying around is gone. And they know that they have a saviour. They know that when their time comes, they're going to be with Christ eternally. They're not afraid of the future. Jesus is here again, here today. He's standing behind you. He's calling you. He's waiting for you, inviting you to follow him. I wonder what lingering means to you. I wonder what it means. How do I, how do I linger? You might be thinking to yourself this morning, how do I linger? What's, what, do I, what do I do waiting around? Let me encourage you. Dan spoke about Alpha, and Alpha is a brilliant, brilliant time, 10-week course, when you can really linger, think about Jesus, really consider what his life was all about, what his sacrifice on the cross was all about, what his resurrection really means. You know, very often, a preacher in my position, uh, perhaps this morning, will go for an instant decision. Put your hand up if you want to give your life to Jesus. And very often, that's an emotional response. Very often, it doesn't really sink in. It doesn't really go anywhere after that. What I'm inviting you to do this morning is spend a bit of time really examining Jesus, really looking into Jesus. Come on, Alpha. Sign up at the desk here. Sign up and say, I'm going to start on the 27th of April. I'm going to start and I'm going to really look into Jesus. I'm going to discover what he's all about. See whether he really is who he says he is. Because it, I would guarantee that if you do, you'll be so, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like Mary, really seeing the significance of certain things this morning. Of course, this morning, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you can. Whenever. Whenever, Jesus is always willing to forgive you of your sin, to wipe your slate clean. And this morning could be your time. And I would encourage you, respond to him. Hear some of the testimonies that are being uh, spoken about this morning and say, I want that. That's for me. Whatever age you are, whether it's early or whether you're, it's later on in, in, in your life. But let me encourage you, linger, experience Jesus and he'll come to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, as we just take a moment, Lord, to think about all that, all that took place on that first Easter day, Lord, help us to really be more like Mary and just take it in. What's happening here? Lord, you rose from the grave. 
Yes, you died on the cross. You took away our sin, but Lord, you rose from the grave. You proved that you were the only one able to take our sin away because you took your life back from death. And Lord, today you reign, you live. And Lord, when we pray to you, you're not some dead guy who said a lot of good things. You're alive right now. You're a risen savior. And we can not just communicate with you, we can relate with you. We can have an ongoing daily relationship with you. And Lord, I pray this morning for anyone who is really thinking about all what you mean and what you're about today. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would be like Mary and just linger and let it sink in and have a revelation of you. Father, I pray, Lord, for anyone here who wants to make a decision today, Lord, that they would... Just linger in the moment, hear the testimonies and say, today I want to give my life to Jesus. Lord, I pray that in your name.